What a blessing it is to be in God's house another Sunday morning. Amen. Amen. Happy New Year. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I want to just say that it's such a blessing to be here again. I, we, I, I miss being with you all last Sunday. You know, me and my family were, were sick, and we know that there's many uh, people that, that are becoming ill and sick throughout this time of year. So we are praying for everyone, and if you know of anyone that, that needs support, that needs prayer, that needs some type of help, or in any way that the church can serve them, please let us know, because that's what we want to do. We want to be able to serve uh, one another in our time of need. So right now is the time of need for many families, and we want to make ourselves available to be able to uh, become the hands and the feet of Jesus and love one another throughout this time. Amen. So I'm going to invite you to open your Bible this morning on the very first Sunday of the year to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. It was last week that we had an introduction on 1 Peter and we went over the first few verses of this book and of this letter but 1 Peter is such an appropriate letter and a, such an appropriate epistle for us to go through during the time that we're living in as a church. During the time that we're living in even as a country and as we start to look at the world around us. We've titled this series, A Living Hope. A Living Hope. You see, if you study the book of 1 Peter, you see that Peter is writing to the Jewish believers now, to the Christians that are being persecuted by Caesar Nero, as mentioned last week. In fact, the persecution became so serious and so heavy that Caesar Nero would persecute the believers and the Christians and that he would light up Rome, the city of Rome, with bodies of Christians using them as candles. You see how heavy the persecution was. But notice this, that persecution or suffering can cause either growth or bitterness in the Christian life. I'm going to say that again so that we can really let that sink in our hearts, that persecution or suffering can cause either bitterness or growth in the Christian life. And the way that we respond now to suffering will determine the result in our heart. How are you responding today to suffering? How are you responding right now through the trial or through the test? Because I really believe that last year we, we were in a series or in a pattern of different tests or various trials now that really tested our faith. And you see here now that in 1 Peter what he's doing is that he's writing encouragement to the church that is becoming discouraged. And he's telling them that Christ gives us hope in hurtful times. Maybe today you needed to hear that as you come into church, that, that Christ gives us hope, that there is still today hope even through hurtful times. What is the hope that we get in Jesus? We get a living hope through Jesus. And we're taught how to live a victorious life in the middle of adversity here in this book of 1 Peter now. In fact, what he's telling the church that even while you're going through hurt, even while you're going through suffering, even while you're going through pain now, you are called still to live a victorious life. To live a life that is courageously obeying God, obeying the person 
and the purpose of Jesus Christ. And even in seasons like the seasons that we're living in right now, where we feel opposition now, where we feel now the test or the trial taking place in our lives, that both our character and our conduct should be above reproach. You see, the, the trial doesn't give us the right, it doesn't give us now uh, the license to live our lives however we want. It doesn't just allow us in our discouragement to disobey the Lord. And what he wants to encourage the church here in this letter is that there is hope in Jesus, number one, but continue to obey him even in the times that you're living in. And right now we need to hear that, to continue to obey the Lord, to continue to live holy lives. This is why in the first chapter of 1 Peter, we see that, first of all, he encourages and he gives us a call to our living hope. Number one, a call to our living hope. You see, number two, that call to a life of holiness. And then finally, a call to continual growth. Yes, church. Yes, Jewish believers in Rome, you're, you're undergoing this tough, difficult season of suffering However, you have a living hope that you can hold on to. You have something to hold on to during this hurtful time. And that is the promise of eternal life. Now let's read here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, where he encourages the church to not lose hope. Notice he says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersation or the dispersion, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, in Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, from the dead. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, because this morning you remind us that there is hope in hurtful times. You're reminding us, Lord, that even in seasons, Lord, of trial, even in seasons of suffering, Lord, we are still called to a living hope, and therefore we are called to a holy life, and we're called also to continue to grow. I pray that this year, Lord, we would hold on to that hope. That we would rest our hope fully on that promise to come, and that's eternal life. That we put our confidence, Lord, in the promises of eternal life. That we put our focus on the promise, Lord, that you are coming again. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Together we said, Amen. Now, do you see here that in this chapter, in this uh, epistle, what Peter is going to encourage the church to do is to hold on to hope. He's going to encourage them to focus their attention right now in the most difficult circumstance to focus their attention on the promise that Jesus is coming again and on the promise of eternal life. Now, oftentimes, when we're going through suffering, we become so discouraged that we want to give in, we want to give up, we want to throw in the towel now in our obedience to the Lord, and no longer want to walk with Him as He's called us to walk with Him. Now, here, Peter wants the church to avoid that and to continue now in the same course that they have been. 
Now notice here in verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. You see that Peter here is writing this letter as an apostle, an ambassador of Jesus Christ. It is Peter that writes this as one of those that was sent out. That's what it means to be an apostle, one that was commissioned by Christ himself to take the message now of the gospel out into the world. But it says here now to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now we want to look at something here in verse 1 because he's saying to the pilgrims. We went over that last week, which means to the sojourners. That's what a pilgrim is, a sojourner. Or to the temporary residents now that are in the dispersion now or the dispersion of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He said, I want, to, I want to speak now here, or I'm writing to, Paul is saying, to the temporary residents. Now, do you see here that even from verse 1 now, or from his introduction and his greeting, what Peter is looking to do is to give the Christians perspective. To give them eternal perspective now that they ought to be living for eternity and that we are just living as sojourners in this world. He's looking to remind them that they're living as only as temporary residents. Now, do you see the reminder that we need to have today? That our citizenship is in heaven? That our citizenship belongs now in heaven and that we are living only as temporary residents passing by here on earth? And even throughout moments of suffering, we must re remember this. That we are called pilgrims, sojourners. But he also says this to the pilgrims of the dispersion. The word dispersion means to those that have been scattered all over Asia Minor. From Jerusalem, you have been scattered due to persecution. Now do you see that he's writing now to these pilgrims or these Jewish believers now that they have been scattered all over now the Roman Empire from Jerusalem due to the heavy persecution. And he calls them elect. Now notice this, verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience of the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now not only are they pilgrims, but they're also elect. Elect means that God in His foreknowledge, not only He knew you, but God in His foreknowledge also chose you. Now, do you see here the sovereignty of God that before the time began, He knew us and He chose us for a specific plan? What specific plan was it that God chose us? Well, it says here that according to His foreknowledge, beforehand, He chose us, number one, for sanctification. Why is it that God chose us? Why is it that God has called us? Elect means called of God. God has called us for sanctification. God has called us to be holy, number one. But also God has called us, number two, for obedience. Do you see that? For obedience now. And number three, for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now we were called to be separated, to be holy and sanctified. We were called to obey. And finally, we're also called now to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, this is their identity, and they must be reminded of their identity in difficult situations and circumstances. Now he says, now you elect pilgrims, 
who have been called to be set apart, who have been called also to obey, and, and you that have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, now it says, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Now this is an amazing greeting that Peter gives them. Now do you see that not only Peter, but also Paul uses grace and peace as his greeting in, in most of his epistles? And it's beautiful to understand that he's saying, may God's grace be multiplied to you, and may His peace also be multiplied to you. And, and it's interesting because you see that, that grace in the greeting also comes before peace in the greeting. Why is it that it's first grace and then peace? Because you will never understand or experience the peace of God until you have first had an encounter with the grace of God. Do you know how much peace now the grace of God brings into your life? And that's exactly what Peter is telling the church, the Jewish believers. I want you to know that because of the grace of God, you can experience a peace that you've never known before. The grace of God and then the peace of God. Now you can't experience His peace until you've known His grace upon your life. That He saved you. That He cleansed you now. That we're right with God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But notice, look at the heavenly inheritance that He wants them to focus their attention on right now. Because oftentimes, our attention now becomes very drifted and we start to put our attention on things that really discourage us or on the suffering that we see around us. But look what He wants to encourage them to do here in verse 3. Because he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Oh, praise God, he's saying. Praise God, church, that we have a, a hope, that it's an eternal hope that is based on eternal life. And notice that he, that he says this in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father who according to His abundant mercy. Number one, look at the abundant mercy here of God. It was God's compassion, even while we were sinners, even in our sinfulness, that He now came and reached down to us with His Son. And it says that we have been born again, we have, be, we have been begotten again to a living hope. You see, that word begotten means you have been born again. Praise God! That because of His mercy now, we are born again, and we're born again to a living hope. It's not a dead hope. <laughs> How many of us can praise God that we're not begotten again, or we're not born again to a dead hope? In fact, we're, we are begotten again to a living hope, and that living hope is founded on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Now notice what it says in verse 3. It says, again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now notice, our hope is a living hope because Jesus conquered death now. And because He conquered death, we have eternal life and we've been born again for eternal life now. It's not the life that we live in the flesh any longer, but He wants them to focus, hey, you have eternal life. You have this living hope. Therefore, you can live with great and with confident expectation. Oftentimes, when we're going through suffering, it's very hard to live with confident and great expectation of anything. <laughs> but here he's reminding them, you've been born again. And because you've been born again, notice this, the, the, the hope that you have is a living hope. 
It's not a dead hope. You're not, you're not afraid of death any longer because Jesus was resurrected from the dead now. He conquered death, and the hope that you have is eternal life. Now, notice as we continue reading verse 4, because he talks about this hope or this inheritance that we have received in Jesus. To an inheritance that is uncorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in the heaven for you. Now, do you see what we have in inheritance in Jesus Christ? Our living hope is based off of, here it says, verse 4, it's an inheritance. It's a priceless inheritance that we have now inherited. And it's eternal life. It doesn't perish. It's, very, it's pure. It's, it's without decay. It isn't changed. It's unpolluted now. But it's reserved for you. Notice verse 4. Reminding them that you and I as believers are heaven bound. <laughs> We're heaven bound. And he wants to remind them of this precious, priceless inheritance that is incorruptible. It's unpolluted. It, it, it's, a, it's an inheritance that, that doesn't fade away. It's an inheritance that doesn't lose its value. It, it's an inheritance that can, cannot be taken away from you. That you cannot lose or, or it cannot lose in, in, in its worth or its value. And he, what he's doing here is he's saying, now Christians, look past your present troubles into your future inheritance. Now I want you to remember that right now, is that we ought to look past the present suffering into our future inheritance, into our future destination. Now, do you see now what he's looking to do here for the Jewish believers? I want you to focus on your destiny, your destination. It is heaven. And you have that as your destination. And it's a living hope because Jesus rose from the dead. Now, not only does he say this, but he encourages them in the very next verse, verse 5, to tell them that God is keeping them or protecting them, reserving them, for this inheritance that he has for them. Do you see that here, this inheritance that he's talked about? It's reserved, notice verse 4, for us. God is keeping this special inheritance of heaven. It is, it's, it's reserved, it's put away for you. And in the meanwhile, as you wait for that, verse 5, God is protecting us through our faith. Now look at verse 5 as we continue. And it says this, you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, do you see God is protecting you? God's power is on you. God's keeping power through your faith now is keeping you and protecting you until you receive this salvation, which is going to be revealed when he returns. And in the meanwhile, as we're waiting for this, God's Power is protecting the church. That's what he says. You are protected by the power of God because you trust in him. And because you trust in him now, he is now protecting you until you receive this ultimate salvation of heaven now, which is going to be revealed as he returns. So he's reminding them, number one, of their inheritance. But also he tells them, even right now, you can rejoice. <laughs> How can you rejoice in a difficult moment? How is it that you can rejoice when you see pain surrounding you? 
when you see sickness, when you see trouble, when you see doubt, when you're filled with fear, in what can you rejoice? Well, here he tells them, rejoice in this. <laughs> rejoice in this, church. Well, I don't have many things to rejoice about, you may say. Well, after last year, there's not many things that I can look forward to. Am I going to look forward just to another year of pain or of struggle or of trials? What is it that I can look forward to? Well, here he's going to tell them, I want you to look forward to this. I want you to look forward to your inheritance that has been reserved for you. I want you to focus your attention on heaven, that you are heaven bound, that you're just a pilgrim. I want you to focus that you, you have an ultimate destination. It's not here on earth. It is in heaven. You know what the problem oftentimes why we become so discouraged? is because we try to become comfortable here on earth. And as soon as you want to become very comfortable here in your life on earth, you will find yourself becoming discouraged. <laughs> you want to find encouragement? Remind yourself that I'm not of this world. That we're just passing by. That even in pain, notice this, I can rejoice in this. Let's look at verse 6 and 7. In this, you greatly rejoice. In what do you rejoice? Rejoice in what's ahead. <laughs> rejoice in heaven. Rejoice in the inheritance. Rejoice in your living hope. In this, verse 6, you greatly rejoice. Not just rejoice or have joy. But in this you can have great joy, it says here. Though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Now, do you see that verse 6? It's a verse of preparation. <laughs> I want you to look at verse 6 as a verse of preparation. As a verse of encouragement. As a verse that you can hold on to now when you're going through moments of suffering. Because it tells us, in this you can greatly rejoice now. If now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Now what he's saying here, Peter, and what he's instructing the church, and what he's telling us, first and foremost, is that you can have joy in what comes ahead. But also this, he says, for a little while. Right now, you might be going through suffering. But notice this, it's only for a little while. <laughs> Have you ever felt that the trial or the test in your life is lasting forever? That you're never going to get out of this season? Well, he reminds him what you're going through right now, it's only temporary. <laughs> what you're going through right now, it's, only, it's going to pass. We oftentimes have the, 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 the feeling or the, the belief that what we're going through, it's never going to pass. But he reminds him this, you're going through it, and it's only for a little while now. And it says, and if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Now, you look at that, that verse, and you see the word, if need be. It, what, what it, it's saying that there is a need for this trial in my life. What does that mean? Well, that means that God has a purpose, and God has a plan, and every trial that takes place or that has to go through your life, if need be. That means that oftentimes, God brings trials into our lives because He wants to produce something in us that it would refine us and grow our faith. In fact, there's oftentimes that the purpose for the trial now is necessary so that we can become humble and look and put our attention fully on God and away from ourselves. Have you seen that oftentimes 
When we're going through the trials, what God is doing is He's humbling us to take our attention and our confidence off of ourselves and putting our confidence fully on the Lord. Well, here He says in verse 6, if for a little while you must endure or you must be distressed by many trials. Notice, what kind of trials? It's, it's many trials that we're going to go through or many types of trials. The word here, various, means many colored trials now or difficulties or pressures. You're going to go through many trials. You may be grieved. You're going to endure through many trials now, but in this you can rejoice now because, verse 7, notice this, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, what is happening when I'm going through a trial? That God is producing in you a stronger faith. Do you see that your faith is becoming stronger? What do trials do? Here in verse 7, Peter says, trials prove that your faith is real now. In fact, your faith is being, more, being much more valuable or precious than gold. Your faith that is much more durable than gold now is being tested in the furnace. Do you know that our, our faith is forged in the furnace? Just like gold is forged in the furnace? What happens to gold? When gold is put into the furnace, the, the, the fire and the heat, what it does is that it melts all the impurities from the gold and makes the gold pure gold. That's why we call it pure gold. <laughs> and in the same way, now, when we, in our faith, is going through the trial, what takes place is that that trial melts away the impurities of our lives and everything that doesn't please the Lord now, it melts away all the imperfections of our faith until we come out of that trial purified, even more valuable and more durable than gold. Do you see that there is a purpose in the trial? That there is a purpose when the Christian man and woman is in the furnace of affliction? It has been said before, and we've mentioned it, that when God puts a believer in the furnace of affliction, he knows how long and he knows how hot. <laughs> Isn't it amazing that God keeps his eye on the time and his hand on the thermostat? <laughs> and he knows how hot that needs to get. And he knows how long we need to be in there so that we come out now pure as gold. Now notice what happens as we come out of that trial. It says this, that your faith may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That your faith, when it comes out of that trial, would bring glory to God. You know what happens that when you're in that fiery furnace and you're going through that trial and your faith is being tested, but you look to resist now what God wants to show you. Well, you don't learn anything. You don't become now refined in the fire. The fire that the Lord brings us through, or the furnace, we call it the refiner's fire. <laughs> and you know what happens in the refiner's fire? You become more holy. I like that old song that we would sing, refiner's fire. My heart's one desire is to be holy. You know what the Lord produces in the furnace? It's holiness, purity, 
And this is exactly what he's saying here in verse 6 and 7. He's telling the Jewish believers, do not become discouraged because God is producing in you holiness. You know, what a shame it would be that we went through this entire year of trials and came out of the year the same than that which we went in. You know what it would be? It would be a big waste of time (laughs) because we didn't learn anything in the trial. You know that the trial has a lot of value? And, And the value that you receive in the trial, it's all depending upon how you're willing to surrender to the Lord while you're there. Are you willing to surrender to the Lord while you're there in that season? Because the Bible tells us here in Peter, he's encouraging the church that there is a purpose for the trial. And it's to make you pure like gold. It, there's a, a necessity. It is necessary in our lives to make us holy. Now let's read here verse 8. As it says that we are to be found by Jesus and bring and our faith ought to bring Him glory, ought to bring Him praise as we are trusting Him in the trial. Verse 8 says this, Whom you have not seen, you love, though now you do not see Him. Yet believing, you rejoice with the joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, do you see that your faith ought to praise Jesus? Jesus who you have not seen, but Jesus who you love. <laughs> Jesus who you still cannot see, yet you love Him, and you have faith in Him, and because of your faith and your trust in Him, it causes in you a great inexpressible, glorious joy. You know what happens that when you're trusting the Lord, even in the middle of a situation where it's very difficult and others are looking into your life, they don't understand why you have joy. (laughs) The reason why you have joy even in that moment is because you're trusting in the Lord. You're trusting in Jesus. And this word right here, inexpressible joy, full of glory, it says a, a joy that's a glorious joy. A joy now that is beyond the words that anyone can express. Well, how, how I can't express, I can't describe the joy that I feel right now or that I have right now, even in this moment, because my trust is in the Lord. You see, my trust is not in circumstance. My trust is in the Lord. And here, this is exactly what Peter is telling the church, that while your trust is in the Lord here, you can have a glorious inexpressible joy what can you have a good attitude (laughs) a good attitude why because i'm trusting in the lord you know what's the worst thing is that when christians are going through trials and they have bad attitudes (laughs) you know why that happens when you're going through a trial as a believer and you have such a bad attitude through the trial is because you're not trusting in the lord And oftentimes, we're going through a trial, and we have a bad attitude. We're upset at at one person, at our husband, or or a spouse, or a wife. You're upset at your children. You're upset at your job, or your boss, or you're going through a trial. Instead of having a good attitude that God is doing something in you right now. (laughs) That God is producing something in you right now. And this that you're going through is going to pass. But this glorious joy that you have, this joy that's without words, that you cannot describe, you have it because you're trusting in the Lord. And as you trust in the Lord, notice what the end result of trusting in the Lord is, the salvation of your souls. Let's look at verse 9. 
It says receiving the end of your faith. The reward of you trusting in the Lord, even right now, notice what you will receive at the end is the salvation of your souls. In fact, it, it now gives reference to that salvation. In the next few verses, where it says that the prophets in the Old Testament prophesied about this salvation, they wished that they knew more about the salvation that we, that we now know of. They looked and they searched for the salvation. They wondered, when would this salvation come? The, the, uh, the Messiah, when would this living hope that the Holy Spirit is telling us about, when is this going to take place? We know of it now because the Holy Spirit has revealed it to us because Jesus was born, He died on the cross, and, and He was resurrected. And because of that, we know that our salvation is in Christ. Now let's read verse 10. What does it tell us? Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully now, who have prophesied of the grace that would come. This is the salvation that the prophets spoke about. Searching what or what manner of time. Notice it says here, the Spirit of Christ who is in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. They were looking, they were searching. When is this going to happen? This is the salvation that the Old Testament prophets spoke about and they wanted to know in advance that the Holy Spirit was ministering to them. They were searching. Well, when is the Holy Spirit referring to what time or when will we see the salvation of the glory of Christ and the suffering that He would go through? When is it that this is going to happen? Now verse 12, listen to the confirmation that we have today now because it says, to them it was revealed. It says, that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering these things which now have been reported through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. Well, this, this plan from the Old Testament now has been proclaimed to you by the now apostles that are preaching this to you by the Holy Spirit things that angels wondered about that now you know of, and it's the plan of salvation that has been confirmed. Now, Peter, what is he reminding the church here? He's reminding them, the prophets spoke about this church. Do not become discouraged. Now, we apostles saw Jesus, the resurrected Lord. We're reminding you of Him now. These are the very things that we've been studying in the Old Testament prophecies these are things that even angels wondered about when they would happen. Now we have that, and we can hold on to that. Now, do you see that this is an inheritance that we are receiving? And, he, and he's looking to now give them confidence. Why? Because we often lose confidence in the trial. We lose confidence and we become very discouraged. But he's looking to give them confidence in their position in Jesus Christ. And that is that they have a salvation and that they have an inheritance, and that yes, the trial right now is producing something greater in you, in your faith. But what are you to do now? What, how are you to behave now? You would ask yourself, well, what is my responsibility now? Yes, I, I'm going through this trial, but how should I conduct myself in the trial? How should you conduct yourself in this season? How should we live now in, 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 a, in a time 
where we feel constantly the oppression of suffering. How should we live as Christians? Well, we're called to live holy lives. And this is why he says this in verse 13. Now let's read on. It says, therefore, because you know this, let's read on, it says, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, isn't this amazing here? You want to talk about holiness, it starts now, holiness starts in the mind. <laughs> you know where holiness begins? In the mind. Control your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. You know what he's saying here? To gird up the loins of your mind. And in their culture, what they would do is that when they wanted to now serve someone at full capacity, they would tie up their tunics, any loose ends of their tunics, so that they can freely move now one direction to the other direction, and they would be girded, or they would put a belt around their waist. What he's saying here now with the gird up the loins of your mind is he's saying bring in all the loose ends or pull in all the loose ends of your mind because that's where holiness begins. Don't let your mind wander. Do not let your mind wander. Focus on the right things that allow you to serve the Lord and eliminate those things that do not please Him in your mind. Reject any hindrances so that you can focus on the Lord. What is he saying here? Gird up the loins of your mind. Control the way you think. Church, right now, is a, a time where we must control our thoughts. We must control our thoughts. Because your mind can cause you to live a life that does not please the Lord. You know what happens? You allow fear to come into your mind. You allow discouragement to come into your mind. You allow now the thoughts of the enemies and the deception to come into your mind and then you no longer are pleasing the Lord now. This is what he's saying. Therefore, prepare your mind for action. And notice what he says here now. Not only does he say, gird up the loins of your mind, but also be sober. Don't be influenced by the world. Don't let anything externally influence you or don't be easily influenced. And in fact, have self-control. Have clarity of mind. And when you have self-control or when you are sober, guess what you can do? You can put your confidence. Let's read this verse, verse 13. It says here now, And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now there's a word right there that we all need. You know what the word is? Rest. <laughs> rest. You know, oftentimes we're, why, why we are so anxious, why we are so worried, why we cannot rest, we're frustrated or disillusioned because we have not gird up the loins of our mind. Because our mind is so wandering in so many different thoughts that this world has and is trying to tell us now that we cannot rest our confidence on the grace of God and that the revelation that He is going to come again. There are many of us that are, that are losing when it comes to that rest. But he's saying, put your rest, put your hope, put your confidence that Jesus is coming again in that grace, the salvation that will come when Jesus is revealed again. Put your confidence in that, church. Put your hope in that now. Be sober. Don't be influenced by everything else so that you can put your confidence in the things that matter. And notice here in, in the next verse, it says, as obedient children... 
Now, what are you to do now as we put our hope in the Lord? We can become obedient children. <laughs> we can become holy. Notice how it says obedient children. Not conforming yourself or don't slip back into your old ways. This is what he's saying. Don't conform. Don't slip back into your old ways or to the former lust as in your ignorance. Now, right now is not the time, church, to go back and to live the lifestyle that you used to live when you satisfied the desires of your flesh in your ignorance, when you didn't know any better. You become so discouraged that you want to go live a life that just pleases self because you are not receiving what you want right now. He's saying, no, church, right now is not the time for that. Don't go back into the lifestyle that you lived when you didn't know any better, when you were controlled by the flesh. Because you know what holiness is translated in? Holiness is translated in one word, and that looks like obedience. Obedience. You can't live a life of holiness if you continually choose to disobey. And here he's saying, stop conforming yourself to your former lust. That's your old lifestyle. You didn't know any better, but now you do. And in verse 15 it says here, as obedient children, but as he who calls you is holy, just like he who called you God, who is holy, who is pure, that is his nature now, you also be holy in all your conduct. Why? Because you are his child. And because you are his child, in your new nature should be the nature of your father. And it says you be holy in your new nature as he is holy because it is written back in Leviticus, be holy as I am holy. Do you see that in verse 16? That is our command. Just imagine if we made a commitment as a church. If you could renew your commitment today, right now before we take communion, if we all renewed our commitment to holiness. Yes, Lord, we're going through trials, but we are going to make a renewal of commitment to this morning at the cross for holiness. You know, it, it, why is it that we can make this renewal? Why we can be dedicated wholly to the Lord? Because He gave His, His, His body for us at the cross. And holiness, what it means is that you're dedicated wholly to God and you're separated completely and totally from sin. Now notice in verse 17 it says, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's conduct, it says, or work or conduct, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Now, the God who you pray to is going to hold you accountable. The God who we pray to has no favorites. He holds no partiality. He judges you according to what you do now, it says. Therefore, we should live in reverent fear now of Him during your temporary stay here as a resident. Now, do you see the motivation that you receive here, the exhortation that we receive here? God doesn't judge with partiality. God doesn't have any favorites. God will hold us accountable. This is the God that we pray to now. And because He will hold us accountable, we should conduct ourselves with a reverent fear. What does that mean? That we have fear of God. We're God-fearing people. So we choose to do only that which obeys Him. You know, this accountability that we have before the Lord, you know what it does? It makes holiness all that much more important. Holiness only becomes important when you realize that one day you're going to have to give an account to God. Because if you do not realize that, then holiness is not that important to you. But here what he's saying, holiness is important 
Because one day you're going to have to answer to God. And in verse 18 it says, knowing that you were not redeemed. Knowing that God did not purchase your freedom from the bondage of sin now with perishable or corruptible things like silver, gold from your aimless conduct that you received from the tradition of your fathers. God did not purchase your freedom with just gold, with temporary things. God didn't just purchase you with, di with disposable things from the empty life that you had inherited or that you have received from your fathers. What kind of life did we receive? We received a life of religion, or a life of works, or a life that was empty, that was vain, that was futile, right? And he's saying, the life that you received, God did not purchase you from that life with temporary things. Instead, he bought you with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why we have communion today. Now notice in verse 19, but he bought you now, not with gold, not with money that can lose its value, but with the most valuable now thing that he can purchase you in the blood of Jesus Christ. Notice, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. The perfect sacrifice that was sinless and that was spotless, and it was Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Lamb of God that paid for the penalty of our sins. And it was the precious blood of Jesus Christ that bought us from a life that was empty. Therefore, we are called to live holy lives. Now, do you know why he gives a comparison between perishable things that are corruptible, that can decay, and then a contrast in the precious blood of Jesus Christ? Because those perishable things can never now pay for the substitute of your sin and my sin. But the precious blood of Jesus Christ that came from a perfect sacrifice, the value in the precious blood of Jesus Christ paid for the penalty of our sins. And then he tells us the precious blood of Jesus Christ, or God did not die, he did not give his blood now so that we can continue to live in our sin. <laughs> Do you see why he is telling us this? God did not give his son to give his precious blood so that me and you can continue to live in sin. God has called us so that we can live in holiness. The blood of Jesus Christ and the commitment that we make, the renewal of commitment that we make to holiness even this morning, remembering the blood, remembering the body, what it does for us is that it should cause us to make a commitment to live a holy life. How, is, how are we when it comes to holiness? How are we when it comes to girding up the loins of our mind so that we can focus our confidence in the Lord? So that we don't live a life that's defeated. You know how you live a life that's defeated? That you've forgotten about the cross. But today we can remember now the sacrifice that God did. And this is part of God's plan. This has always been a part of God's plan. In fact, what it says in verse 20 and 21 as we finish, He indeed was foreordained, Jesus was foreordained, or this was God's plan before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you. This has always been a part of God's plan. This has always been a part of, of God's now purpose for you through His Son, who through Him, through Jesus Christ, you believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. How do you, where, where does our trust in God come? It comes through Jesus. And it's so substantial because God raised Jesus from the dead. 
It carries a lot of weight, our faith. We trust now the Father because we see how the Father raised the Son from the dead. And because we see how He raised Him from the dead, you know what that fills our faith with? Hope. It fills our faith with hope. Can we pray right now that God would fill us with His Spirit? Not only that God would fill us with His Spirit, but also with the confidence that comes from Him. That we would not lose the hope that we have in Him. It's a living hope because we choose to trust Him. We choose to obey Him. Let's pray right now. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You, Lord, because the precious blood of Jesus Christ has washed us. The precious blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us. And we ask for any, Lord, here that have become discouraged, Lord. Discouraged because of what we went through last year in trials or in personal tribulations, God, and personal suffering. But we ask right now that we can put our confidence, our rest, our hope in you, Jesus. Lord, if any of us have let our mind wander and we've become anxious instead of resting, Lord, encourage us right now, Lord. Remind us of, of the inheritance that we have and of the calling that we're called to live in, in holiness, God. You did not die on the cross. You did not give your precious blood, Lord, so that we can live in sin. And I ask God that we would repent from anything that is holding us back from holiness. Anything that's holding us back, Lord, from obedience. Your word says that we're invited to take at the table of communion, but that we ought not to take it in an unworthy manner. An unworthy manner would be an unholy manner. Without having repented of sin in our lives. And Lord, right now we want to repent, Lord. We want to confess. Any sin in our lives, Lord, that, that would take us away, Lord, from... participating of the table of communion. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would remind us of the hope that we have in you, Jesus. And that, that would give us rest, that would give us hope, Lord. That would give us confidence, Lord. Remind us, Lord, that we are just sojourners, Lord. We're just passing through, we're passing by, Lord. Thank you, Lord, because this has been a part of your plan always, Lord, that you would redeem us through your Son, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you would bless this time, Lord, as we worship and prepare our hearts for communion. In Jesus' name, amen. Those that are going to serve communion can now come forward and serve the elements of communion as we worship with the song.